0: We have been in Philippians for a while on Wednesday nights, but we are starting a new little uh, journey tonight. Um, And I I thought it would be interesting. We don't always do character studies, uh, but we have done quite a few. We've done Moses. We've done Elijah. We've done Lot. We've done different uh, character studies on Wednesday night. And tonight we begin one on John the Baptist. I want to look at John the Baptist's life, his impact... Uh, he is one of the most interesting characters in the Bible, if you if you pay attention to his description and what he did, and then what an incredible man of God he was. Now tonight, just to kind of set this up, uh, we're not going to get, he's not going to be born yet tonight. We're going to do a, a little set the scene of what kind of a, a time frame that he came at, want to kind of set the table for the need of his ministry and look at a few of those things, so... Um, Tonight won't be the most exciting as far as in his life, but I think it will help us to understand uh, how God uh, brought him and when God brought him into the world and and how much he was needed. Now, John the Baptist uh, is the herald of Jesus Christ, the crier, the announcer of Jesus Christ to mankind. Uh, He is the connecting link from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Really, in effect, John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet, really. It, mean he, he, uh, it came in the New Testament, but there was a, this was a transitional period. John ushered one era out and he brought another era in. Now, I'd like to, the reason I say that's because it's important for us to recognize this is something we don't think about maybe, but it takes a man of tremendous character to be faithful in a transitional ministry. This is a hard thing, and, and we see it in. Bible colleges, churches, and uh, in, in different, different uh, whether it be Christian or really uh, secular even, when you have a, an organization going through a transition, it's a, it takes a special character. And especially for John, we are talking about a fundamental change in the way people worshiped, in what they did, uh, the beginning of the church, the coming of the Messiah, there was going to be some huge changes that took place, and John is the transition to that uh, period. And so this is going to take a great man of character and a man of calling. Now, one of the reasons for that is because popularity can, 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 uh, is very fickle when you're in a transitional period, because he could be very popular as an Old Testament prophet, and then almost immediately he was a nobody. He was a has-been, and, and we'll, we'll look at some of the doubts that came into his mind then. Uh, that transition is uh, one of, of rising and falling quick popularity. i give you just an example in my personal life. My grandfather, when we, uh, when we transitioned out of the Amish religion and became Baptists, or we got saved and joined the Baptist church, my grandfather was, a, was 65 years old, and he was an Amish bishop, had been for a number of years, and he was in the Amish community a somebody. In the Amish community, they don't uh, use the law, uh, they, they, if there's a dispute that needs to be settled, they will bring a mutually respected person. Uh, often it's out of state, uh, but they have some people that are very respected in the Amish community general and they will, it, they will pay his way to them to settle the dispute. And he was uh, often called to other states to do that. He was a very respected and, uh, by, by many people. Uh, so he had a high position. And then we transitioned out of that lifestyle and then he went. Uh, we joined the Baptist church, and then he he was just an old guy in the Baptist church. He was no, he was a nobody, and uh, I didn't realize until years later, when I became an adult, just how much that impacted him. Because he he went uh, he kind of started to deteriorate mentally and physically soon after that. Uh, and I can't imagine that what that would do to a person's psyche. I mean, 65 years old, you're still in the prime of your life, and you're wanting to you you still make an impact. But he went from being sought after, respected, and questioned and all that, but a transition always leads to rising and falling popularity. Does that uh, make sense there? So that's what happened to John the Baptist in his life, and we'll see that as we go along. So the reason I say this is because it's important. It helps us to realize John's character. Uh, He had a tremendous uh, character, and you also have to really know your calling well. He ushers in a new era, uh, and he does so without any precedence because there's nobody... Uh, Nobody's done these things before. Nobody's done what John's going to do. And so bringing in and talking about the Messiah. So no one really lived who had a better testimony and lived more faithfully than John. We'll see even Jesus says that about him, that there's uh, no man born of women greater than John. So uh, I'm excited about looking at some of John's life. I think it'll be uh, illuminating for us. Uh, because we we set, so tend to sometimes, I know I, I do anyway, as I read the Bible, when I'm reading about John the Baptist, he's like my introduction to Christ. And so it, and it really, that's what he was. He's just he's there to usher in Christ. But if we focus in on John, I think we're going to learn a lot, and it'll be a help to us, and and uh, hopefully it'll it'll be instructive to us. Now, when John the Baptist appeared on the scene, it was a very significant event in a very needful time. Let's start at verse number five of Luke chapter one. Uh, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias in the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no children because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. Now, uh, we'll, we'll talk about them in just a little bit, but when John came... Uh, it it again signifies a momentous change in the order of things. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 16, the Bible says, the law and the prophets were until John, since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. And so there was a dividing line here. You had the law and the prophets up until him, after him. Now we're talking about Christ. We're talking about grace. We're talking about salvation and the gospel. John's arrival signaled a a time that prophecy would become fulfillment. Uh, the focus would shift from Sinai to Calvary. Uh, the church would be founded. Gentiles would be included in the family of God, and that's it. all happened right after John's life here. All of this was wrapped up in Jesus Christ, which is the one that John came into the world to announce. Now, truly, we can agree then that the world was in need of John when he came. In fact, for 400 years, God had been silent. And now John is going to come on the scene and uh, bring, uh, introduce Christ. Uh, he came in a godless time, in a wicked time, when the world was in darkness. Luke 179 tells us that. Uh, the wicked were in power. The righteous people were a minority. Religion dominated the landscape. Let's look at a picture of the scene that he entered. First of all, the political conditions. Look at verse number 5. There was in the days of Herod king of Judea. This was Herod the Great. Uh, he was the oppressive ruler. He was uh, over all the land of Israel, and there's a lot about Herod we could go in. I don't want to focus on him, but uh, he was not a Jew. He was not a descendant of David, so he wasn't really uh, a true king of Israel. He was actually an Edomite, which means he was a descendant of Esau, which is uh, reversed to what the Bible teaches, a, Uh, A child of Jacob should be ruling, not a child of Esau. So this was a very sad state for the Jewish people. Uh, Few things would disgrace the nation of Israel like being ruled by an Edomite. It was contrary to the word of God. Uh, Jacob should rule, not Esau. And uh, Israel, though, had forsaken God, and this was one uh, or, or part of their judgment. So we understand that great sin provides or brings great judgment. Uh, there is always a uh, there, there's always a, a a price to pay when we sin, and so this was one of the things that Israel was going through. Now Herod was corrupt, and through corrupt policies and schemes, uh, he retained favor with Rome. He was a moral tyrant. Uh, he had ten wives, killed a few of them. Uh, he was brutal. He did not hesitate to kill uh, whoever was in his way. He killed his enemies. He killed wealthy. Uh, Jews, He confiscated their wealth, and really all you had to have is something he wanted, and he'd kill you for it. Herod was a brutal, brutal man. He even killed members of his own family, including his, uh, one of his wives, and he also killed one of his sons uh, because of uh, just to protect his own power. Uh, of course, we know about his most cruel act was when he killed all the little children and trying to kill Jesus off, and uh, that's actually mentioned in the Bible. Uh, years later, one of his sons... Herod Antipas would ask for John's head, on a, or his, his, his uh, daughter-in-law, but he, 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 would, uh, he would be responsible for killing John the Baptist. This was the time in the days of Herod. Now, this is when God brought John the Baptist. You know, there's something encouraging in this. Uh, no matter how dark the times, God's going to be at work. No matter how bad our life is going, God's able to bring some good into it and out of it. No matter how dark the time seems, uh, God has not forgotten us. He didn't forget them. Now, they may have thought he did, but they were remaining faithful, and he did not forget them. God loves to show his power in the midst of difficult situations. He's not limited by circumstances. He's not limited by dark times. And he was not here, and he is not in our lives either. We forget sometimes because we think that when Herods are in power in the world that God's uh, ability is limited to do something. Herod does not scare God. Uh, The Herods in our life isn't going to scare God. And so even when there are Herods, uh, if if you are even today in the days of Herod, don't be discouraged. God can still do a work. Don't give up hope. Uh, Look up and look for God to do something big, expect it, and uh, he'll demonstrate his power to you. So we have the political uh, conditions, and then look at the parental conditions. God is always faithful, uh, and He always has His faithful, even in the darkest of times. Remember, uh, in Genesis 5, there's even Noah. He was only one left in the whole world, but God had someone. God always has His faithful. There weren't many godly people in this time when John was born, but there were two that we read about: Zacharias and Elizabeth. And these would be the future parents of John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist would have godly people for his parents. Verse number 6 says they were both righteous before God. This also is instructive for us. It does not matter what a dark time we live in. We can be righteous. We can do right. You might say, well, preacher, you have no idea what kind of place I work at. Well, I've worked in some really bad places too and uh, with some rotten people. And guess what? It's, it's not as bad as this was, I bet. Uh, it can be bad, and I know I don't make light of that. But we can still live righteous. If the so preacher was just talking about Joseph a while ago, uh, Joseph living righteously, being sold as a slave in a heathen land, he lived righteously. We can still live righteous even when the times are dark around us. Uh, the character failures of the ones around us does not mean that we have to be a character failure ourselves. We can do right in the midst of darkness. This is what we see with. Zacharias, and Elizabeth. We cannot excuse our carnal living on the actions of people around us. Now, that's a good reminder. We talked about that Sunday morning. One day, one day we're going to stand before Christ. We cannot point to anybody else. we cannot not anybody with. We can't, you know, if I... I've never been in trouble with the law. Hope to never be in trouble with the law. But if I were, I'd want to have legal counsel with me. What do they say? If you re- represent yourself, you have an idiot for a client? Uh, I'd bring a lawyer. You can't bring a lawyer when we stand before God. It's just us. And so uh, we can't blame our failures. We don't have to go along with the crowd. So we see their righteousness. We also see their reproach. They had a problem. Verse 7, they had no child. Uh, all hope was gone because not only did they have no child, but now they are old and uh, well stricken in years. And to talk, we preached on that's why I'm not going to focus too much time. We, we spoke on Zacharias and Elizabeth around Christmas time, and, and we talked about that term well-stricken is what they used, uh, uh, usually termed to be people in their 80s. So they were very up in years here. In those days, it was a terrible thing for a Jewish woman to be barren. And uh, this, which, this also is instructive because they were doing right. They were obeying God in the midst of a lot of darkness, and guess what? It did not exempt them from trials. They were absolutely heartbroken, and the thing they wanted the most in all the world, they couldn't have, even though they were doing everything right. Boy, we've got to realize and remember that righteousness does not preclude trials. Righteousness does not mean just because we're doing the right thing does not mean that we will never suffer. Sometimes for different reasons and obviously we'll see what an amazing thing God did in bringing John the Baptist but they didn't know that up until God did it and so we've got to remember that sometimes we just have to trust him like we sang starting out tonight trust and obey this is what they did they just kept obeying just kept trusting even though they were faithful God allowed this bitter trial to hound them uh, for years righteousness prevents a lot of trials those trials uh, brought on by sin. We have, uh, we, we can avoid a lot of trials brought on by sin, amen, uh, because of just living right. Um, I've never had a DWI, uh, it DUI, DUI, or DWI, whatever it is. I've never had either one of them. Uh, I will never have one unless they include coffee as what I'm drinking, but <laughs> I guess I could be a little under the influence of that. Uh, but you understand, uh, not drinking saves you from a lot of trouble, doesn't it? And uh, something I've never done and don't plan to, uh, that saves a whole lot of problems if I don't uh, drink. If I love my wife and I'm faithful to her, uh, that uh, saves me a whole lot of trouble, doesn't it? And so uh, we, can, we can avoid a lot of problems and a lot of uh, trials by living right, but that does not prevent them all. Sometimes kids will get sick. Sometimes... We will lose our job. Things will happen still. And God is working a work in our life, so we just have to be faithful in the midst of it. Uh, Sometimes the best Christians are subject to the most attacks because they're the most trouble to Satan. By the way, I think that's true for churches too. How many of you have ever heard or seen a Catholic church split? Maybe they have them. I haven't seen them. I've never even heard of a Catholic church split. But there's a lot of Baptist church splits, unfortunately. Uh, And one of the reasons is that, you know, Satan doesn't attack those that are no threat to him. He attacks those that are a threat to him. And so uh, just because you're going through it, Christian, don't get discouraged. Make sure you're right with God. Make sure that it is not something that you brought on yourself. And then trust him. He's going to work something out in your life. Now, the world will, of course, respond much differently to trials. The world responds like Job's wife did. Curse God and die. would not that a great wifey support there? What a wonderful, wonderful lady. Curse God and die. But that's not the case here. They just kept on being faithful. You see the political conditions. Then we saw the parental conditions. Now look at the priestly conditions. The corruption of the priest, the religious life of Israel, was completely corrupt because the priesthood was corrupted. Now, obviously, I think we can understand if the religious leaders, if the pastors and the preachers are a bunch of a corrupted mess, probably the people will be too. And this is the case here. One of the big reasons is because they were influenced so much by Herod. In fact, Herod chose the high priest. And so we understand through the Old Testament, the high priest was the one that was responsible for the spiritual temperature of Israelites. And he would lead them, and he would help them. Well, here, when John came, the high priest was a political appointment by a wicked king. So we can imagine the corruption that was going on there. There's also the temple. Herod built the temple, but he did so so he could dominate the people all the more. He even put the Roman eagle on the temple uh, at the main entrance of the temple. And so this was it was all political. It was all to control. Uh, and, and it was just a bunch of corruption going on. Uh, there, was a, there was still so, some though that were true and genuine. We see that in Zacharias. Uh, we see he was a true priest. Uh, he was a descendant of Aaron. His wife was one of the daughters of Aaron. So he kind of had a double blessing. He was of the priestly line and he married into a uh, priestly line. So uh, it was a double distinction. There was like a a preacher marrying a, pre- a preacher's son marrying a preacher's daughter type of thing. That was, uh, that's my wife and I's situation. She's a pastor's daughter, and I was a, a pastor's son. And so uh, it, it, uh, it, it, was, it gave kind of a, a little bit of a boost to their spiritual ministry here. So now look at the announcement of the angel. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that really quickly here. I have 15 minutes to go through 12 points, but I bet I can do it. So uh, you stay with me here. Uh, but being born into a priestly family... So John was born into a priestly family. He would have been very well aware of the corruption of the other priests. And don't we see him hitting it hard when he starts his preaching ministry? We'll see that later as he uh, begins that. But let's look at the announcement of the angel. Look at verse number 13. Angel came to Zacharias, and the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Uh, I want to look at 12 things here about the coming of John we see right here. We'll just go through them very quickly. Number one, the coming of John. Uh, Thy prayer is heard, thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. Zacharias, obviously Elizabeth. They were praying for a son for a long time, and delay does not necessarily mean denial because they kept on praying, and they kept on praying, and they kept on praying. Don't stop praying if you feel uh, like you're getting denied. Sometimes God shuts the door, and then obviously we need to accept it then, but sometimes we feel we're just uh, not getting an answer we want, like maybe you have an unsaved family member or a wayward child or something. Don't stop praying. You just keep on. You keep asking God, and one day uh, he will answer that prayer. Uh, God knew the best time for that son to be born, and he brought it to be at exactly the right time. Delay will test our sincerity, but delay will never test God's wisdom. Trust him, and uh, it's, a, it's a, a thing that we will not regret. Now, secondly, the naming of John. Zacharias and Elizabeth. Did not name their son. God named their son. Thou shalt call his name John. John is one of the seven people in the Bible that were named by God. Anybody know the rest of them? Let's see how. Let's see quiz time here, real quick. Who can name somebody else that God named? Adam. Actually, okay. John was one of eight people in the Bible that God named. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I need to stop asking. That uh, that embarrasses me a little bit. <laughs> So, uh, Ishmael, Isaac, uh, Solomon, Josiah, Cyrus, and Jesus were all named by, an Adam. Okay, that's, that's right. Can't believe I missed the most common, uh, the obvious one. But anyway, the meaning of the name John is Jehovah shows grace. I think this is so appropriate. Uh, uh, it's fitting because he was the one who was the messenger for the day of grace. Uh, the, now... I, uh, we talk about different ages and and uh, in in the Bible and all that and and I am a dispensationalist. I believe we're in the dispens the church age, but many people call this the age of grace. I understand I don't argue with them that's fine that's that's what officially on most of the papers, this is called the Age of Grace. I believe God was grace uh, had grace in all ages, so I like to call this the church age, but but that's just a, that's just a, a, a preference. but here. He brought on the time, the age of grace here, and how important, how appropriate here that it started with an announcement with a name that starts and means grace. So the coming of John, the naming of John, look at the rejoicing in John. John's birth will bring joy to many. Thou shall have joy, that's an obvious one. His parents would be happy, but many others would as well uh, because of what it would mean to the Israelites. The joy over John uh, involves spiritual things, godliness, prayer, the coming of the Redeemer, salvation. By the way, that's where real joy comes from, is spiritual things. Not, uh, this wasn't because John's going to start a lottery system that's going to make people rich. This was the spiritual joy that he was going to bring. Number four, the evaluating of John. Heaven's evaluation. Uh, Heaven said of him in verse 15 here, um, the angel said, He shall be great in the sight of the Lord. This, by the way, is true Greatness. Greatness in the sight of God is greatness, not greatness in the sight of men. Uh, Listen to what McLaren wrote. No description is more misused and misapplied than that of a great man. Every little man that makes a noise for a while gets it hung around his neck. (laughs) That's kind of some truth to that. We especially see that in the television world today. But uh, there are certainly those that the world says are great that are not great in the eyes of God. Uh, just out of curiosity, I Googled who the greatest man in the world is right now. Uh, anybody want to guess who that might be? It wasn't me. I was very disappointed at that. Uh, but according to Esquire magazine, Warren Buffett is the greatest man alive today. Uh, according to the website site Top Tens, which is voted, uh, th- this is the, they, they have top ten lists, and this is by voting of people, the greatest man that ever lived. Muhammad second Jesus Christ It's kind of sad isn't it Uh, so I will not be going to the world to define greatness amen guess what they called Herod history calls Herod Herod the great that's not what the Bible the Bible calls John the Baptist great isn't that a neat thing history and the Bible disagree history and God disagree here about who is great Uh, Herod was not great John was great even though history calls him Herod the great uh, here, uh, heaven is going to evaluate greatness on a different basis than the world does. How would Gabriel, or we saying heaven here, count greatness? Those who do great things for God, they consider great. Those who do little for God, it considers little. So let's take God's standard for greatness. I want to be great in heaven's eyes, don't you? Rather than in earthly eyes. And uh, so let, we, we can get very caught up and trying to achieve human applause as well. Number five, the abstaining of John. He shall, neither, uh, he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. Now, it's interesting that right after it said that John shall be great in the sight of the Lord, uh, we see next he will not drink strong drink. I believe these things go together. I don't believe you'll ever be a great man in the sight of God if you're a drinker or taken to drink. Someone who does that, Regularly, Uh, there's good reason, and there's many commands in the Bible that tells us to abstain from drinking. And uh, John practiced self-denial to his fleshly appetites. By the way, there are some here that uh, say that he was uh, that that uh, uh, what is that called? That Samson was a Nazarite. But this was not a Nazarite. No place in the Bible does it say he was a Nazarite. It just says that he wasn't, uh, shouldn't, shouldn't drink strong drinks. And it's, a, it's a, basically a, a precursor to his whole life. He would, he would deny himself uh, throughout his whole life and uh, make his life about serving the Lord. And then we see the filling of John. Gabriel said, John shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb, verse 15. This does not mean... He was saved before he was born. This does not mean uh, or promote infant baptism. Both of those have been drawn from this text. It does not mean that because you have to look at the Bible in its totality. You cannot pull a doctrine out of one little incident that's shaky in the first place. And so uh, filling, by the way, in the Bible, Holy Spirit filling is always associated with service, not with salvation. We see the filling in, the, in Acts, and it was always uh, after their salvation, uh, the Holy Spirit filling was associated with service. So this divine filling of John means that he's going to be equipped and empowered to do the work of God. God had his hand on John basically from the moment of conception. But if you... Want to get technical, you could uh, make that a verse about abortion right there because God was all over John before John was ever even born. And, and uh, John was a person before he was ever born. Now, it's interesting that in the same verse that it says of John, look, look, at, look at the verse here, verse 15. I just, I just thought this was interesting. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Have you ever, do you remember Ephesians 5.18? And be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the, with the Spirit. Uh, drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So I think it's interesting. That verse is directly applied here. He's not going to be given to uh, drink, uh, and so, but he will be filled with the Spirit. The one who is drunk will be controlled by the drink. He will do and say things that, that the drink controls, and uh, he'll do and say things he normally would not do and say. The servant of uh, of God is supposed to be uh, controlled just like that, but not by drink, but the Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit controls us in our life, then what happens? We are going to do and say things that we would not normally do and say. We're going to have empowerment to do what we know. I mean, look at Peter. He was all scared and denying Jesus three times, and the next couple of chapters later, after the Holy Spirit came, the day of Pentecost, he's standing up to the... Uh, I was just reading it today uh, in in prepping Sunday night's message, but he's standing up to the people, throw me in jail if you want, but I'm going to obey God rather than men. Uh, He wasn't afraid for his life. He wasn't afraid of anybody after the Holy Spirit empowered him. And so uh, unlike strong drink, though, under the influence of the Spirit, it'll make you do good things, not bad things. This was the case with John the Baptist. Filled with the Spirit, he changed the course of human history. John did. We all need the Holy Spirit if we're going to serve God with any success. We cannot do it on our own. Again, I say we cannot do it on our own. Don't even try it. Uh, you've got to have the Holy Spirit. Psalm 127, 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the washman waketh in vain. Okay, the converting by John. John's ministry result many coming to the Lord. Verse 16, And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. His goal was to get people to turn to Christ. He's the one that yelled out across the hillside, Behold the Lamb of God in John 129 and in John 136. Unfortunately, many people did not listen to him. And uh, they turned away from God. They turned away from his word. And uh, that, that, but John did his part. Now, if people listen to you, where will they turn? Of course, we can't force them to, but. What does your life say? What do your words say? Do they match your words and your life? When you are, uh, your impact is either going to turn people toward Christ or turn people against them. And so uh, let us be very faithful like John was. And then we have the heralding by John. Uh, Malachi had predicted that there was going to be a herald to come uh, prepare the way for the Lord. Malachi 3.1, Behold, I will send my messenger. He shall prepare thy way before me. Gabriel makes it clear that John is this herald in verse 17. John was faithful in proclaiming the message. He kept Christ first. He kept his own desires secondary uh, throughout his whole life. And uh, we can see that uh, even in that verse. Remember that great verse? He must increase, I must decrease. Boy, if we could live that way, Oof. if we could make that our life's uh, standard, he must increase. I must decrease. We're constantly increasing ourselves and automatically decreasing Christ. Let's have that goal in our life. Then number nine, the prototyping for John. He shall go in the spirit and the power of Elias. Now, John was not Elijah in person, but his ministry was like John, uh, like Elijah's ministry. They have a lot of parallels in they, their work. They both uh, dressed a little funny, <laughs> If you look at the description of their clothing, they both dressed weird. Uh, 2 Kings 1, 8, Matthew 3, 4. Uh, They both shook a nation's conscience. They were not afraid to talk to the wicked leaders of that nation. They both had a king and a queen that were wicked to deal with. Elijah had Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, John had Herod and Herodias. Uh, Both of these men had wicked women who sought to kill uh, their respective prophets. Uh, You have Herodias and Jezebel. John and Elijah both had their weaknesses. Uh, Elijah had his juniper tree experience. John had his doubting in prison experience, and so it's nice to know they weren't perfect either. Uh, They had their problems just like we do. But what great role models these men were, and uh, it would be a great thing, wouldn't it, if our young people today would idolize people like that rather than pop stars and and, uh, cheap heroes the world offers. Number 10, the uniting by John. Uh, Gabriel told Zacharias that John would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Sin always divides. But you bring a man of God into the picture with the preaching and the word of God and God's spirit on him he will unite uh, the hearts of the fathers to the children. Fathers and children should be united but sin is what comes in and wrecks and ruins that relationship. And so when John started preaching, he rolls back his sleeves, he calls sin what it is, and he pointed men to Christ, and that will help the home, amen? If people will just listen and do things God's way in their home, it will help to bring that home closer together and uh, unite the hearts rather than divide them. Number 11, the illuminating by John. Gabriel said that he would turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Sin darkens the mind. Righteousness illuminates the mind. John's preaching would promote heavenly wisdom. When sin dominates, no, this isn't rocket science, but when sin dominates, men or women, whoever sin dominates that, do really stupid things. Have you ever watched the show Cops? <laughs> when sin dominates, men do stupid, stupid things. Wisdom of the just is the wisdom to do what's right. That comes from a right relationship with God, from obedience to God. Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is darkness. They know not at what they stumble. And so what's the answer then? Get illuminated by the word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And uh, we see the opposite there. Wickedness is darkness. We stumble around in darkness uh, or the, and the word of God will light our path. Number 12, the preparing by John. Gabriel said that John would make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Verse 17, those who listened to John's message were ready to meet Christ properly. And many did. In fact, a couple of John's disciples left him and went to Jesus. Shows how good John did at preparing them for it. Not all of them, but several did. Andrew was one of them. And so when Jesus Christ came on the scene, they received him and were blessed by him as a result. If we expect to meet God successfully, we need to be properly prepared to do so. The first way to be prepared is obviously to receive him as our personal savior. Amen. That's, that's a first step right there. Praise God for that. And then what are we doing after that? Are we being faithful. Are we living in such a way to point people to Christ? I did it. 12 points in 11 minutes. Amen. Should be some kind of a word for that. I won't expect, but, you know, if it happens on Sunday, I'll understand. All right, uh, sure appreciate you listening tonight so well. And I'm excited about getting into John's life. He's a he's a fascinating character. Um, he, he's a. I I heard a preacher say one time, and I I tend to believe it's true. He said there's probably not five churches in America that it could take John the Baptist preaching. And I thought, well, I don't know about that. And then I saw some of John the Baptist preaching, and. Uh, he, uh, he wasn't afraid to, to name names. He, how, when's the last time, by the way, you ever sat in church service and the pastor names names? I know, Alan, I know where you were Friday night. You know, uh, that, that would be a pretty, pretty, pretty brutal preaching. That's what, uh, he had no problem. Plus, he named names when, of the king when the king was in the crowd. Didn't bother, bother him there either. Nothing stopped him. So John's an interesting fella. Join us on Wednesday nights uh, continuing on and we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, let's pray and be dismissed and we'll uh, let you go for the evening father we